0: Welcome to the Daily Cannon Podcast. Here
1: to talk all things arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade.
0: Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon weekly podcast. This is a slightly out of kilter, out of time a weekly podcast, even though it's still the next week, but it is out of time because there was a transfer window that uh, slammed shut in the way that transfer windows are prone to doing nasty things. And uh, we thought well, we will we should probably talk about that rather than just talking about getting absolutely humiliated at the Etihad Stadium again. Again. <laughs> So to join me, and you can probably tell by the sound of that again in the background, is Stephen Bradley, uh, the, the voice of optimism alongside me here. Uh, how are uh, you,
2: sir? Uh, mildly balanced, I think we can call this podcast today. I'm not too bad. It's, it's one of these situations where it was right just to give it an extra day, just in case we bought someone else. And shock horror, we did. Indeed. You know, thank, thanks to Willian, who got slated for 13 months as an Arsenal player and then decided not to take £20 million of our money. And he's like, OK, thanks, mate. <laughs> Sorry for calling you a cunt for 12 months, but on you go. Here's the door. Was, you know, like, it's such a bizarre set of circumstances where we bring in someone to be a professional and the most professional thing he does at the club is leave. Mm. Yeah.
0: But, uh I you know, mean... It, you know, contrast one surprisingly picked at, uh, at uh, the Etihad side, Kalasenac, who basically had a deal lined up and wouldn't take a pay cut, even though, like, I mean, the, uh, the fact he went to Schalke last year on loan uh, seemed like he still aspired to being a professional footballer, but maybe, maybe not quite as much as we thought. And of he, course he wanted, he wanted what three million? He wanted sixty grand a week,
2: and. Basically three million, which is another sixty grand a week for three years, mm. and and Fenerbahce were like, we don't pay Ozel that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can't afford that. That's why he could only come here because this is his boyhood club. Like, I know you want to play with your mate, but yeah, we can't afford that. So he's like, oh, fine, I'll stay here on my hundred grand a week in London. Then, and we're like, oh no, no, don't! <laughs> do it, that.
0: We've yeah, bought please. another live back now. We don't. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: All the footbacks.
2: <laughs> yeah we've literally ended up within this transfer window with more fullbacks than we started with when at the start of the transfer window we could have done with selling three of them. i mean so Pe- pep would be proud wouldn't he yes very I mean, much so
0: i mean at, at, at least none of our fullbacks that we know of are currently involved in discussions of police are things we can't possibly talk about for, for libel reasons <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, and moving on <laughs> and moving on exactly um well our discussions i said anyway the the it's a sort of. I mean, we have to give credit to Willian for doing that uh, because it is so rare that a player that basically, particularly at the the downspin of their career, is willing to take a big, a big hit. I mean, whether the hit he's taken is as big as the hit his agent claims he's taken, who knows? But the fact is, there's clearly the the, the the very nice message he got when he departed suggests that certainly he gave something significant up, um, uh, and. There were really very few examples of that of that being the case that we can think of, particularly at this club in recent history. Yeah, like he he has no affiliation
2: with this club. Like if he'd done that for Chelsea, he would have understood it in a way. If they said, "Look, we need that we could do with this cap space because that's what it was basically for FFP, um, any chance? And we'll you know we'll make sure you get a sweet uh, you know a sweetener move to a club that you really want to go to, and we'll sort you out with a you know." With a, with, a, with a Lifetime Achievement Award and, you know, an, an ambassador role or something like that, you know. I and mean, it would have been okay. You know, it's a little bit shady, but he's gone back to, you know, his boyhood club in Corinthians and he's gone home. Mm. Here, he had no obligation at all to give us back a penny. And it's one of those situations where a lot of us expected of a player that was like, oh, you shouldn't take the club's money. that You're, you're robbing a living and all that nonsense. Whereas in exactly the same scenario, if I'm at a company that are treating me like shit and they've given me an extra two year and a lot more money than I'm usually on as a yearly wage. I'm waiting on every penny of it. And so are you. And so is everyone listening. So yes, William did not deliver to what we expected, but that's somewhat on him and it's somewhat on us. And it was his good grace to say, you know what? Contract's a contract, but I'd rather go somewhere where I can play. I'd rather go somewhere where I can contribute. I'm not going to sit on the bench. I'm not going to just collect a paycheck. I'd like to work for my money. Thank you and good luck. And
0: all you can do is Salute his honestness, his his honesty and his grace and his class. Quite frankly, I'm sort of quite interested to see where that workplace analogy would would go if we actually to apply it to some of the performances he put in in the first team last season, mind you.
2: <laughs> well, he,
0: he he would have been either demoted or sacked on two weeks
2: on two weeks pay, and he'd be on the dole by now. But <laughs> but it's one of those ones, and yeah. And do do Arsenal sign you know Tommy Yasu, the new the new centre-back slash right-back from Bologna. No, they don't. You know, the, the figures match up quite nicely. You know, William gives up the guts of 20 million. Arsenal spend the guts
0: of 20 million on the right-back. So and Arsenal have 17 non-homegrown players in their squad. Yeah. Couldn't have registered any, anyone else. Uh, yeah, so it worked out for everyone,
2: you know, even the tax man. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it, it's one of, those, one of those weird contract, you know, cancellations that suited everyone.
0: And
1: so, then, you know, that's
0: thinking of another contrast, you know, the word on the street this week is that Eddie Nketiah had a fee agreed to go to Crystal Palace with 11 months left on his deal, 10 months left on his deal and decided he'd prefer to be third-choice striker in a one-striker team uh, uh, and wait out the rest of his contract, which shows either a huge amount of self-belief or it shows that... Uh, that a player at such an embryonic part of his career is still thinking of of, of short term gain. I mean, I don't want to speculate which it is, but you know, I hope for his sake that it's the former and not the latter, because the latter won't do his career any good longer term.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit different to what's happening with Mbappe, because you know it, the the fees involved for a start, and Mbappe is going to start every game, no matter where he plays. But And also Mbappe signing on fee for his next team will be like, all the millions. (laughs) But but that's the thing, like it's that, but in a lesser scale, because like Mbappe would have been stupid to go to Real Madrid now. He's in a better team now. And that 200 million that we all know Real Madrid didn't have in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spend that on players to put around him or give him half of it. You know, like Wayne Rooney was able to get two ginormous wage uh, boosts, wage rises, out of Manchester United through the logic of, well, it's going to cost us what he's asking for to replace him.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So we might as well just give it to him. You know, and it's it's so it's working out like Eddie and and maybe his agent, maybe not. They're probably looking at this and going, right, okay, if if he's going to if he's if he's worth ten million now, and he played very little last year is his value going to decrease a lot? You know, is his stock going to get that much lower next season if he doesn't play much? And the answer is probably not. So someone, you know, maybe it be a newly promoted team. Someone's going to give him 60, 70, 80 grand a week, just based on the fact that they don't have to give 10 million to Arsenal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for his development as a player, it's probably not the best, but for his long-term financial future, it, probably does suit him. And that's the problem that Arsenal have ran into with everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, going, you know, going into the that's that's why we spent so many years saying don't let players go into the last year of the contract because of this. Exactly. You know, especially with younger players. You know, like as much as we wanted, you know, we were bemoaning, should we sell a- Ainsley maitland Niles for 25 million to Wolves? And we're like, mm, maybe, dunno, could do a job. And then he plays brilliantly as a left wing back in a semi-final in the final of FA Cup. And then start of the season is and then Bakaya Saka comes out and he says well I, I can play left wing back I, I can play anywhere me and then suddenly we don't need there's no need for defensive left wing back and then, then Maitland-Niles is back being his Swiss army knife and he doesn't mm-hmm. want to be one mm-hmm. and it's so many so many unlucky things had to fall in place for the likes of Nketiah and Maitland-Niles to be stuck
0: similarly to how Harry Kane is now stuck at Tottenham for the rest of his career but well, I mean, like that's what he got for signing an incredibly long, well-paid contract, yep. and yep. believing yep. that his beloved Spurs were going to somehow change the habit of their entire existence and become some sort of dominant force in world football, yeah. despite the fact they've got owners who don't want to put any money in. Yeah. But anyway, but
2: but 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 just like like you're, like I say you're as much of a, an American sports official as I am. Like you know how salary caps work, and you know you know exactly what a bad contract is. Yeah, yeah. And every club has every team in, Amer- in American sports has them, and they're described as players aren't described as players. They're described as contracts. You think they're commodities? Here, go to America. Yeah. They're traded every right. Ainsley Maitland Niles is now a bad contract. Eddie and Keta is now a bad contract. You know, like you can't get rid of them. You know, so you have to literally let them play out and wait until they're paid off, and then let them leave. Well, speaking
0: of that, I mean, what do you think of the uh- free? Andy Maitland Niles <laughs> vibe that's been going around the internet, you know, after after his uh, after his "Let My People Go" tweet uh, or social media uh, Instagram thing. I mean, there seems to be a lot more sympathy for the player than the club, from what I've seen online. I just wanted to know what what your thoughts thoughts were.
2: I don't think there's anyone in the right or the wrong here. Like I can totally get why Maitland Niles would be pissed off. You know, he's been told twice in two summers now, that if a decent bid comes in for him, they let him go. And a decent bid did come in for him and then was told, no, look, can you leave it a week or two? We could kind of do with you because we're not sure if Kieran Tierney is going to be fit and you played really well as a left wing back. And we really don't want to play a sack left wing back. Yeah. And he's like, fine. And then Tierney, for the most part, was fit and then Saka was able to play a left back and suddenly there was no need for him. So in January, Sam Aldice comes in and he goes, right, I could do with some sort of Premier League influx of talent. He's available. What do you want to do? I oh, want to play a centre mid. Fine, I'll play a centre mid. Was he good centre mid? He's all right. Yeah. He was all right. He wasn't bad. He wasn't awful. Like he was, uh, he was a Lenny, basically. You know, like not yeah. not to in terms and, of and overall I, impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he didn't do much, and he comes back here and he says, you know what? I think right back's the right move for me in a club that has them coming out of every orifice. Yeah, and then suddenly it's like, well, and he's like, and then he comes out. He says, "Well, I want to, I want to play your know, right back because you know that's where I was picked for my country." And you're like, "Ainsley, mate, come here." Yeah. Trent Alexander Arnold didn't get into the squad because there's how many good right backs there are, you know. Like so, there's that. But at the same time, as much as he might have an overinflated, you know, sense of where he is. As talent-wise goes, of course he is. Every you know, professional athlete in the world has an inflated sense of themselves because they have that inner confidence. They have that inner belief and it's just the way they are. You can't tell a lad twice you're going to pick him and then don't. Once, fine. Twice, you can't. And then to go back and then say, right, okay, well, at least, it, can you find at least a decent deal for me that will get me out and get me playing because I don't want to sit on my backside and do nothing. And then ever to come in First for look the second bid of two year of a loan is nonsense. But the first bid was basically a loan. Yeah. And you weren't getting money from. And whether it was Brinksmanship or not, Arsenal's went, no, we're not taking a loan. And for whatever reason, and i Niles either read it on Twitter or read it in the news or got a phone call off the agent, you know, Jonathan Barnett style, like he did with Ashley Cole.
0: Yeah.
2: And basically went, fuck this. <laughs> And I can't blame him. I can't blame him for that initial outburst of fury because I, I wouldn't blame him. You know, he's, he's, he's not complained. He's not fussed. He's not gone out and looked for a transfer request. He's not sat out of training. He's not gone on strike. And he's tried to do as much for the club as possible. And yet he's been basically, not shafted, but he's been basically lied to twice. And at some stage, he has to put his hand up and go, hang on a minute, are you going to do me right or not? And now it looks like yeah they're like okay we're going to play you right back, and then three hours later spend twenty million euros on a right back. So it's it's a shit like as much as Madeleine M- Niles doesn't coming out doesn't come out of this smelling like roses. The club it's another you know shot into the shield of the club management whether it's Arteta or Edu or whoever of how they have managed players who if they have had either a gripe with or some sort of feud or argument with because the list of players that is lining up to say those those two men do not like people disagreeing with them is starting to add up. And whether it's Arteta just trying to put in a, a you know a, a culture of no, you know, no you know no disagreement with the coaches, you know, complete compliance and all that, again we see it a lot in American sports. We see it a lot at you know Man City, where if you don't play the way Pep wants you to play, he sells you, but Pep has won multiple European Cups and Bundesligas and Premier Leagues. Like, yes, he's they've spent an awful lot of money, but he has that cachet. He can say, you're not good enough for me because he's Pep Guardiola. Mikel Arteta can't say that because he's Mikel Arteta. He's
0: won one FA Cup. So, I mean, it's a ca- balance. The counter-argument is uh, how many of those situations where there has been genuine friction with a player that we know of rather than purely pre-speculation, which hasn't been corroborated by anything else. Can you say that the player didn't do something wrong? Perhaps William Saliba is the one that strings to mind because none of us have a fucking clue what's going on with that. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. No, Uh, um, And and for me, you know, there is this kind of uh, narrative of Arteta being the, how can I put it, <laughs> the, the uh, dictator, if you will. Yeah, uh, a doesn't, disciplinarian. Who doesn't, doesn't brook any sort of disagreement. But I suppose yes. I think what happens with Saliba after this summer will tell us a lot, after this season will tell us a lot, because the club has loaned him out these times. You know, they've suggested it's for, for developmental reasons. And if they then take advantage of that development internally... Then you're like, okay, so you were being sincere. This was the plan, uh, great. But if then that's not what happens, then it's very very hard to make any argument in support of what the, what the club has done in that on that front. With Maitland Niles, it's one of those ones where I feel very sorry for the player because his own flexibility has meant that his career has stalled because he. No matter how good you are, you can't play in that many different positions and really develop in any of them unless you're doing so on a very regular basis. But at the same time, the players have to know that part of when they sign a contract, they get paid, and it's partly for their services, it's partly for their asset, for them as an asset. And if teams aren't if teams are willing to throw money elsewhere, aren't willing to put an offer on the table for you that actually involves paying any money for you at all, other than the percentage of your wages. You know, it's one thing going, okay, yeah, Schalke are about to get relegated and they've got no money. Okay, we'll let them loan someone because who the fuck can they buy anyway? Everton, they could have easily paid Maitland-Niles' market value without even blinking so, no, fuck them and fuck their two-year offer because, you know, we've had enough of, like, everyone trying to ride us like their bitch. bitch. <laughs> uh, for, yeah, but but was it, wasn't this the Wenger transfer MO
2: of going to a club and saying, oh, right, I see you've got Santi Cazorla there. Oh, good news. You're completely bankrupt, Malaga. Here's 10 million. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's that like... Was a I'm team not...
0: that, that was a team that was bankrupt and was over a barrel and... Ultimately, even though it sucked for them, mm. they did need the money. Mm. And it's you know, plenty of other teams had the opportunity to do the same. It's just that because all the wanted to come to Arsenal. But Arsenal don't need to get make the Nazis' wages off the, so much off the books that they can just let him leave for two years without getting a yeah. fee.
2: Yeah, yeah. The two, people, two year loan was a nonsense, especially without up. an obligation to buy. Like, if exactly. it was an obligation to buy, then it's basically, you know, it's, you're, you're it's buying Juventus. Yeah. You're buying something on HR. Yeah, exactly.
0: Basically.
2: Yeah. yeah. And that that would have been fine. You know, Everton has spent 440 million in the last five years. You know, like, like if they're like, look, we'd like to push FFP back down the road a couple of years, we'd give you 20 million in two years. Fine.
1: Yeah. That's fine. a completely
2: different kettle of fish. Yeah. Yeah, but that they didn't because they knew how much we needed well we were uh, looking to you know remove wages off the books because we'd spent 140 million and they're like yeah we'll take him off here. money no god
0: no you know like it's it's one of those offers like, that people who offered you know oh, we'll take him on loan for a year but he's got a year yeah. left in his contract i know yeah you know like, yeah. oh, fuck off <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and and look it's it, you know when you put an ad in a buy and sell or the yellow pages or whatever he was in England and it's like you know I'm selling this car for a thousand euro no no time wasters yeah. and the first lad who rings you says well will you take 300 and you're like did you read the ad yeah. <laughs> you know but you can't put that in you know the transfer market you yeah, can't, but you can't transfer a list and put underneath it no time wasters mm-hmm. you know like and unfortunately just at, especially at the end everyone was looking for bargains everyone was you know the, the story of Fabio Paratici literally emailing pretty much every club in Europe going have you got someone cheap you know, like you're going you know, going to the Wolves and saying we'll take a damn of triore off Lord V for a year. You know, do you need yeah, to get his yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll yeah, give you exactly. five million and then if he's good, we'll give you another forty five next year. And it's like and wolves are like, oh, go away. Yeah, but that's what everyone was doing.
0: You know, so, but, but and- then but then people can't complain if that's what's happening. I mean, ultimately it's you know, there comes a point where from Arsenal's perspective, yeah, it sucks for Ainsley, And of course we mm. want the best from his fans, but from an Arsenal arse perspective, having the option to call upon him a few times a season, or maybe more if he plays well, is worth a shitload more to us than just getting some money off the wage bill. Yeah, particularly yeah. And as we've punted some high owners out the door, some others are coming off the books in the next year or two, and the, the signings we've bought have all been younger players on on lower wage bills. Mm. So, and that's 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 just the new plan.
2: Like it's, yeah. we are where Liverpool were when they sacked Roy Hodgson, you know, when they were buying Paul Konchesky and Christian Poulsen and Joe Cole on a free, hi, William again, you know, like it's, it's that level that they were buying to surround Steven Gerrard after they sold Fernando Torres and it didn't work obviously. And then they brought Brendan Rogers in and a transfer committee in and they start bringing in, you know, young players. They saw, like I said, sold Torres, brought in, you know, Andy Carroll and, and Luis Suarez. Like, one of them worked out, one of them didn't. But that 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 was the kind of buy, buying they were doing. 16 million for Jordan Henderson, you know, six months after Steve Bruce and Sunderland was trying to flog him for three. Yeah. You know, like it's. and we were all looking, why are you spending that money? Well, you can see now, like it's like none of these players, as much as we are desperate to see Arsenal get out of the hole they are in, because good God, they're in a hole. At the same time, we've been lamenting the fact that Arsenal have tried to get themselves out of a smaller hole, but as as an equally important one by buying now, by buying ready-made stars now, you know, Aubameyang at 29, getting in Mkhitaryan for Sanchez instead of getting money, stuff like that. You know, like we are now seeing Arsenal go the opposite way. We're saying, right, okay, this is clearly not going to be fixed in one transfer window. We're going to buy the best young centre-back we think we can find. The best young attacking midfielder. We think we can find the best young goalkeeper. We think we can find the best centre midfielder, young centre midfielder. We can think we can find a decent left back and a decent right back. Yeah, you know, and it's not going to, it's not going to, you know, get your hopes up. It's not going to set everyone's. You know, you're not going to send you racing towards the Emirates to watch the Norwich game. But they have to start somewhere, and this is that start. And like as much as we want to talk about. You know where where do we start judging our Now, mm-hmm. now you can start. Yeah, now, this is this is his team now. For, you yeah. know, the, from now on, no, there's no war. Ah, Well, he's got it. He's he he had a you know pandemic season last year. Ah, he needs a full preseason. Ah, he needs to build his own. Team. Now he's got it. Yeah. You know the you know the full spine of the team is that pretty much changed now. You know he's got you know center mid center attacking mid center backs. And another goalkeeper, if he doesn't like Leno.
0: Yeah, like, there's not much more Arsenal can do for him than this. And the, the clock starts ticking from Norwich at home, because that's, yes. it, it, you know, in, in a way, that's why when, I mean, we have to mention it, why the Man City game to me was not hugely surprising and uh, not something that I found nearly as upsetting as quite a lot of other people. Um, just because for me, it's like, well... Looking at you know a number of the players aren't fit, see a few of the players he actually really wants to build a team around that aren't available. Uh, we're, we've been forced to draft in people that none of us as fans think we should be playing, <laughs> certainly not as a collective. And uh, Man City had literally just found their mojo, um, and so I you know I didn't expect five nil, but I. Uh, you know, the most optimistic voice in my head suggested we might lose by one or two if we mm. if we scored first. Uh, and it was it was the manner of it. I
2: think that I think uh, upsetted a lot more people than the result. I can I can take losing five nil to ban City. You know, we're not that good. They were last season the best team in England. I know Chelsea won the Le- uh, Champions League, but City won the league. Yeah, That's yeah. the test of who's the right. They're better than us, and we were down to ten men for sixty minutes, and we didn't have. I, like you said, either of our best centre backs, our best centre midfielder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can make arguments for why a fantastic Manchester City team will beat an, a- an average Arsenal team. But that second half, when we were set up the way we were set up and no one even chasing after the ball, yeah, was yeah. just like I don't, ex- I, I've said this before, I don't expect much from a player wearing an Arsenal shirt, I don't expect them to win. I like them to win. I hope they'd win and good god I pray to whichever deity you want that they will win because I'm you know buying into it and paying with emotions and etc but I don't demand that you win. Hmm. But I demand that you try. Yeah. And at for large parts of that second half Arsenal were not trying to score against Manchester City. They no, were not was, even trying to get the ball. It was damage limitation. And you, that's on. That is unacceptable. That phrase right there is unacceptable to me. I like the eight-two. The justification I could put behind the eight-two, which was the anniversary of the eight-two against Manchester United, was that go watch the game. Yeah, because it should have been eight-five-eight-six. Like, well, yes, they might, they might know we battered them for an hour, and then every time they got the ball, twenty-five yards out, ping, top corner, I know, there ping, was like, top there was corner. It was like six
0: goal of the season contenders Please. in my game. Yeah. And also, insane. and also, we had Armand Triore at left back, who yeah. was so far out the door, he'd already signed the contract to change clubs.
2: <laughs> yeah. And like, just, just, and just in, in case people think this is nostalgia talking, right? The XG for that game. That 8 2 is 3.1 for Manchester United and 2.5 for Arsenal. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: You know, like it was actually an even enough game. It's just Manchester United scored everything. Like I said, worldies, left foot, right foot, free kicks, everything. And Arsenal just kept getting into great positions and just kept missing. And as much as, you know, like I said, it hurt. Of course it did. 8 fucking 2. But it was a game three days after beating Udinese away, half mm. kids. And you're like, well, look, they never, they never gave up. They tried. They stayed fighting. You know, They stayed at least attacking. They, they stayed swinging. And for that second half, Arsenal at some stage, maybe they think they're a credible rival to Manchester City at some point, whether it be just in the global scale of things. They're like, look, you're a big club. We're a big club. You know, you have aspirations of winning the league. We have aspirations of winning the league. You know, we want to consider ourselves as one of the biggest clubs in the world. You don't then, when you're 3-0 down, half-time down to 10 men, decide, fuck it. (laughs) Call in the... You know, you can't. Like, you can't. And like Chelsea, the same, almost the same thing happened with Chelsea the day after. Yes, it was one all. They had something to fight for. But they weren't settling for one all. As soon as they got the ball straight down the channels and ball straight into Lukaku and they're like, look, we can we can bloody your nose, too. You know, they were a consistent threat on the counter. We were nothing, nothing like Lacazette was playing almost on the top of his own penalty area when he came on with 20 minutes to go. Like it was just that sense of giving up, that sense of throwing in the towel, that sense of
0: we'll keep it at three. You, no, yeah. no. Uh, it, is very much a, it was very much a case of writing off and licking the wounds, and that was very much the, the approach. Uh, and you can't do that. You can I know maybe it's macho, and
2: maybe it's you know it, it's just the gladiatorial nature of, of sport. But you at least wanted at least give the impression that you tried. You know, and maybe like and like it's like well they could have conceded more goals. They lost by five. How many more goals did you want? You know, like this is the worst statistical start since 1964. How bad? How much worse would you like it? You know, if if you tried and at least given Smith Rowe and Saka a bit of a chance to at least attack a back four that kept consistently pushed up, you might have lost eight two again. And I
0: mean, (laughs) yeah, I just it it didn't it just didn't bother me in the same way because I guess I was. I mean, maybe that shows shows that the defeatism has been bred into me a little bit, but I, I it's just that the uh, for me the team were in such total disarray entering into it, and then we're on the day going to be even before the sending off reliant on too many people who you you just know you can't rely on, um, either because they're just not very good. Or because they're people that when when the going gets tough, then then you know, then they're not the ones who are going to be in the trenches with you. Um, and so I guess I wasn't surprised and therefore it wasn't painful to me because I was like, Well, this is a team that an eleven that oh, we've got before even before the sending off, that it's very unlikely we will ever see play together in an Arsenal team. Uh, and I, and, and I get that. And I also thought, and 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 quite apart from that, half of these players should, at best, be on the bench, and three of the players that shouldn't be on the bench are clearly not fit. Um, and so it just became well. Actually, I don't mind damage imitation because ultimately the players who are most likely to get injured in this game due to lacks lack of fitness are the players who really fucking don't want to get injured. And uh, the players who are, gonna, who are shitting the bed are the players that I expect to shit the bed and hopefully, sadly didn't come to fruition, hopefully some of them might be leaving.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: and it's, it, like I said, it's not the fact that they're crap.
2: It's the fact that I did, clearly they were given instructions not to try and that comes from the manager. Like, like I said, I don't think they... I think if they were given the opportunity, they would have. But there's very few things in... Like, we can't relate to what it's like to be a professional footballer. Like, mm. We can't, of right? Course, yeah. But we know that... Give it, There's just a sense of professional pride at stake where it's like, there are very few things that I would do in an Arsenal jersey that I know I could do as well as another band could do. And that's give a shit. You know, and that's at least... Try and not be humiliated in front of a national live TV audience and sixty thousand watching, and the fact that five six thousand had remained after paying through the nose and being on a four hour train to go watch and sing songs about me, like I'm going to go run and at least make it look like I give a shit. You know, like I'm at least going to try just for my own sense of pride and sense. Well, look, like, yeah, we got smashed, but I didn't give up. I stayed trying. I stayed trying to make sure that there wasn't a lost cause, and yet for the whole of that second half, via instructions from the from the manager, they were told, "Don't, don't. They might beat us by more." And, and uh, yeah, that just that 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 mentality, just, it's just not for me. I, no, the, I,
0: one I, of the, I, I appreciate that. I just, I just, you know, uh, I, I suppose. I had emotionally checked out of the game at that point. <laughs> and yeah. and, and I'm, like, I'm
2: not expecting a comeback. I'm not expecting right. them to get to three all and then get shafted four three in the ninety-fourth minute. Well, that's Arsenal. Like even if they didn't score, at least if they tried. You know, at least you should make it, give them a game. Like at least it's okay. It's eleven against ten. But be the Black Knight in Monty Python with you know two legs chopped off behind you, and you've got one arm left, and you're swinging the sword, and you're saying it's only a, it's only a, 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 you know a scratch, it's only a flesh wound, my lord. But it is you know, like it's a
0: lot easier to be to 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 go down swinging if you have the confidence of not having a terrible start and the confidence of knowing that you. Are likely to be in the team when other people are fit. And that's
2: and that's on them. Again, it's professional pride. It's yeah. you know, like it's one of the few situations where they go, excuse me, I am paying you three million pounds a year. Fucking run. You know, like it's I don't expect you to be brilliant, I don't
0: expect perfection in every game, but I expect you to try. So I expect you to give it so so that so obviously that happened. <laughs> I mean. Talking points, I guess. Aside from that, would be the oh my uh, oh we started quite brightly. Oh my fucking god, what are the defenders doing? Uh, mm-hmm. Which for the first two goals, which were, I mean, th- they were constructions that you know a fabianski sendros partnership would be proud of, uh, and uh, you know, and that's not to decry Sendros who's actually a better player than him, a lot of people gave him credit for. And his confidence mm-hmm. was shattered. Maybe maybe mm-hmm. maybe more Squalachi is a better reference for that, but. um, But then, of course, there is the the experienced renewed contract squad member losing his shit at at the appropriate time. I mean, the one thing I will say to get off my chest is that, yeah, it was a sending off, but like three almost identical challenges against Arsenal players in the previous two games didn't even get yellow cards. We saw what Pogba did at the weekend. He got a fucking assist for it you know yeah okay it's ascending like, off but why is it always you, you could off even a it's a bit like yeah. Pellerin's foul throws is he really the only professional in the UK to make foul throws yeah but like what you're doing dude <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of those
2: things where it's like you've got a reputation for it yeah. ah yeah but it's unfounded okay but you've got a reputation for it so don't give them the opportunity to do you for it and he's like, okay, Grant, I'm going to sign this new contract. I'm going to turn a new leap. And then three games in, he does it again. And it's like, not an
0: entirely unfounded reputation. Although, no. although, as I wrote, as I tweeted at the time, uh, Granite Xhaka is a player that has been sent off. He's got four sending offs for Arsenal. Three of them have been think- for things which if you look at the break them down and take of them, no one else in the Premier League has been sent off for in that time period. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Jacket Jacket is, is done brilliantly to be a textbook sending off. Yeah. If you know what I mean, yeah. like like yeah. they will give examples of here's a two footed lunge, here's Granite Jacket, here's a stupid trip with forty yards to go denying doors up opportunity, here's Granite Jacket, you know, like and then you see very very trip,
0: seventy yards from his own goal with other defenders in the backhand, here's Granite Jacket getting sent off, yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> oh no, that and, one
0: looks a bit shit. Maybe we'll change that one. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> the problem is is that when you see like
2: I said with Pogba, you see very very similar, but justifiably ever so slightly less you're like well there's the line and it's like well there's the line that's the line
0: no the line is is that Paul Pogba is a world superstar without a reputation for being dirty has a reputation for being lazy Granit Xhaka is a relatively mediocre player by in that comparative you know stratosphere who has a reputation for being Mardi and losing his shit You know, we all saw the moment where the referee walked over with his yellow card in his hand, and he saw it at Jacques, and it became a red. Now, I've got no problem with that being a red card tackle, because even though he didn't make contact with the man, if he had, holy fuck. But at the same time, can we just at least have an occasional illusion of something that might be confused with consistency, rather than it so obviously being reputation-based, as it is for a number of players, as we see, you know? It's the way, same way. As if you're England captain, you can you can maim people. <laughs> yes,
2: but it, it, it was the ju- it was it was the juxtaposition between Jack's red card and Manchester City's second goal yeah. that had me like screaming in laughter because yeah, yeah, yeah. look right confrontations like that happen in every free kick in every like go watch a Barnsley game. Where as soon as they get a free kick within 60 yards of the box, long they put eight lads on the on the D in front of the penalty area, launch the ball in, four lads run for the ball, four lads run for the second ball. And they're like, either the ball is going to bounce my way or someone's gonna foul me. And okay, does America Laporte go to punch him? No, but did he? Yes. And the ironic thing is, the thing that makes me laugh is that Callum Chambers wasn't called a foul because it's a contact sport and contact is unavoidable. Yet, Granite Jacob was sent off, even though he didn't
0: hit him. Or even better, the fact that uh, between the two, Kalasinac got booked for yeah
2: for exactly the same
0: contact that was uh, much harder to prove as being intentional. Uh, But you know, we all know that VAR only exists. at random intervals now they're going oh no we can't use it as much when do you use it oh we don't know we'll see what we feel in the moment you know and like you know it's Arsenal at Man City and Arsenal are gonna lose anyway and it's narrative man so fuck them <laughs> I mean yeah. I think I generally you know the a serious point I generally think that is a significant element which is one of the things that gets me most about the uh, English referees particularly is they sort of it's almost as if they're sponsored by Sky Sports. You know the way that they referee games is about is about adding to whatever storyline is going on around it. Uh, and I, you know, for me, that makes me deeply uncomfortable. Particularly as we saw during the Euros, how referees could rely on the technology yet less, but still be very much more in control of what was going on. There was probably only two notably poor refereeing performances in that whole tournament, and we've probably had fifteen. In the Premier League, yeah. so far this season, like notably yeah. poor, uh, and, yeah. And yet, we're the ones who've got professional referees, whereas the guy who ref the Euros final fucking owns a supermarket chain. Yeah, so and okay. but that's the thing; like, it's the difference between good re- like I everyone
2: think but well, not everyone. That's a straw man. But like, when you hear arguments like, "Oh, yeah, there must be a conspiracy," you know, they're in it again. for there to be a conspiracy, they need to be good. <laughs> yes, right. I, I don't give them that credit you know like what, what are all these bad decisions they're bad
0: decisions because they're bad refs like, I, mean, I that, do think there is, is elements of bias but I think it's unconscious bias because oh
2: you yeah, but that's the, that's that's just natural frankly like there's no way a human being can go into a game exactly. and not be influenced. It's
0: impossible. I mean, you know, like when, when people shut me down and say there is no bias. I'm saying, I'm sorry. Oh, well, everyone's in, biased. The human condition means there is always fundamental bias. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I can't imagine that Arsene Wenger's interactions with referees did anything to endear referees towards Arsene Wenger. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing Wenger can't do anything about it. Now. Oh, wait. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it? <laughs> So, okay. yeah, so obviously that happened. Then Jacker got sent off for, was uh, like, I don't know quite what he was trying to do. It was probably like a, holy fuck, the world's on fire. I have to do something. Oops, did too much, which is the Granit Jacker disease that we've seen before. Uh, it's almost as if, it's almost as if that playing Granite Jacker in central midfield in his own might not, blend itself yeah. to him you know it's the unai emery thing of going you know which led to jacka getting booed it's like well if you give the man 60 yards of space to cover he's fucked yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when he's I mean, fucked he does crazy things because he knows he's fucked and this is yeah. some this is like we've all seen this show now of course what should have happened is that the central defenders the wider central defenders should have pushed out more support that midfield area and would allowing the the, the wing backs to to get more involved in midfield but of course our two central wide defenders in that game were Kolasinac who has the confidence of like a marshmallow at this point and <laughs> Callum Chambers who had who's basically had the worst start to the season individually of any Arsenal player in some time and yes. and then had made a ricket early on in this game and had not been called for getting dashed in the face at late in the game <laughs> and so he was probably not he was backing away in a way that wasn't really very helpful um so it exposed flaws in the tactical plan but it's also the tactical plan was undermined by flaws in the individuals being implemented yes, uh, yes because was,
2: it because it's a plan that as i illustrated on the daily canon tactics board which is brought to you by a very handsome bastard um, on youtube now yes and the plan was kind like The way it was set up With Jacques as your lone DM And then Smith, Rowan Odegaard As two box-to-boxes A De Bruyne and David Silva Were at Manchester City Two years ago Is something I would like to see A lot of more, oh, please Because that that And then Saka one side Pepe the other And, a, and then a striker With Kieran Tierney Bombing up the left Yes, you sign me up for that, please that, That'll that do You know, so Hopefully that's not the last We see of it But you can't play that way, like you said, with granite Jacker having to you know sprint left and right because he can't play football when he's asked to go to his right. He just can't,
0: you know. Well, so but also he can't cover space with agility and acceleration. So it always leads hmm. him being in a slightly heightened state of panic, which then leads him to, as we've all seen, try and do too much, try and try and hero the situation, uh, which which is never a good thing when is his best when he can be a highly functioning cog mm. uh, but he too often he's put in a position where he has to be the man or feels like he has to be the man because things are going tits up um, and as you say i was encouraged by the system at the start of the game i mean yes i didn't expect it to be watertight given the personnel implementing it but i thought but we did cause city some trouble early on and actually had had the better of the early proceedings before well, before we basically let in one of the shittest goals you'll ever see yeah
2: um, well we've all played that we've all played one of those like those war type games you know those 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 maybe you know total war games where you can actually have the battlefield and you spend too long on one front and you're like oh yeah that's grand i'm looking at that oh it's not my plan's working not too bad there we've made a couple of little bit of in roads their their defenses are kind of okay let's look at the back oh no <laughs> and everything's on fire because yeah. you forgot to set anything. You know, <laughs> and suddenly like all your armies and all your archers are fucked. Where
0: do oh, all those French like, oh, knights
2: come from? Yeah. Fuck. I've been I've been flanked again. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. You know, and it's 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 one of those situations where you're like, oh yeah, the, the attack is working fine, and now for the oh oh no. So and you would hope that not that that would be completely fixed, but that would be at least um amended and you know augmented by the fact that two or three more different centre-backs will be playing in the next game. Yeah. You know, if he does revert to that system again, it won't be Act, you know, holding in Chambers. It'll be... Ever hopefully- again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, it could be, you know, Gabriel, Ben White and Tomahori... Uh, Tomahori, Tomahor, Tomahor, sorry. Yeah. So
0: it's... <laughs> yeah, Tomahori is a different person. Uh, but So speaking uh, of Takahiro Tomahori... Tomahor, uh, Obviously, new signing, ooh, shiny new toy. Uh, it's been quite amusing watching people on uh, social media and Sky Sports and other people trying to talk about him. And it's like, oh, you've never seen this guy play. You have no fucking idea who he is. Particularly the twat on Sky Sports going, oh, this agent made him mind that he's not a center back or a right back. He's just like, I don't know. And then trying to send to everyone and no one was interested. It's like, that's utter bullshit. He's incredibly mm. highly regarded in Italy. Yeah, he is. Football specialists are really pissed off that he's left because they thought he had the potential to grow into something very special within Serie A. Um, and yes, I suppose he's not a centre half or a right back because he can actually play both positions. Uh, he's, I suppose, to put it the most simple way, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, but for me, he is a quicker, more aggressive, more technically adept Japanese version of Callum Chambers. He sort of can Chambers, but slightly better at nearly everything.
2: Yeah. Which is what you want, frankly. You know, like Chambers' best attribute to Arsenal was his versatility. You know, like we did pay $16 for him. And it was one of those situations where it turned out that because every other right-back we had was shit, he was the best. So... Getting in someone that can actually do the job that Arteta wants him to do, as opposed to playing the position that he's going to be in, is key. Like he's been brought in so that we're locked in now into this system where Kieran Tierney is basically the left. I won't call him a left back or a left midfielder or a left winger. He's now a left. Well, particularly up the-
0: his new understudy is even more like that. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> which is fine.
2: Yeah. But uh, but uh, you know, if if you can stay in the same system and not have to actually rely on either one starting, fine. Exactly. But now you've at least, at least you've got either you know Tommy Yasu or Ben White who can both do that, and as a result, they both don't need to be in the same spot at the same time. So if one of them decides, oh, I'm going to go for a jaunt on the right, the other one can slot in because they've both got experience. Like we, we all see right now Ben White as a centre-back, but he was playing as the right of a three at Brighton. Hmm. And then if he didn't play there, he was playing right back. So like our instant thinking of, oh, he's definitely going to be in the pairing of a two, it now makes more sense if you just play, you know, Tierney, Gabrielle, White and Tommy Yasu and you are you're really playing a 3 at the back but you're playing three at the back and a left
0: back yeah,
2: yeah you know like it's it's you're you're playing three center backs but the three center will just shift over 20 yards as soon as tierney goes off on one of his wanders so it's going to be interesting to see how quickly tommy fits into that because they do kind of play the three at Bologna, you know I'm not going to start here and though. I've watched every game. I've watched two of them. But even then, it's hard to... You know, it's, but like watching Arsenal, do they play in a three or a four? It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. So he's used to being shifted over, over the right. He's left-footed. So... If he had to play as a
0: left sided centre back, he could. Well, I'd say so, he's two footed rather than left footed. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, he's very much two footed, to be fair. Yes. Um, like the, they, they have this stat of whether someone is like 100% right footed, which means he's, uh, Well, it's Nicola Pepe, he's no right foot, you know, or Or if you're Santi Cazorla and you're both, you're legitimately both footed, then you're like 65, 67% right footed. Tommy Asu's 68. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's legitimately good with both feet. And, Again, in a system like Arsenal's where you need to be able to pass to both your left and both your your both your left and right, having that another lad like that, and he's good at finding those passes to the center midfielders, his attacking stats are awful, but he doesn't care. That, he knows that's not his job. He's like almost like the Alexander Hleb of defenders. It's like it's not my job to get assists or to, or goals. It's my job to get the the ball to the lad who's going to get the assists and the goals. So if he's good at finding Lekanga or Party in the midfield or Tierney with a long ball or Pepe with a long ball, fine. You know, I don't care if he ends up, you know, like like Nacho Monreal, where he'd have two goals and two assists over a season and nobody cared. You know, like yeah, if he's yeah. just make sure that he gives Ben White basically a jumping partner and doesn't rely on all of the, the heading going towards Gabrielle. if the two of them could be the two lads going for the ball and Ben White going for the second ball, which is exactly what he did at Brighton, it suddenly starts, you, you start seeing a plan form together again. Yeah. And it's a better fit than what Chambers was, as we saw on
0: Saturday. Yeah, well, Tommy S is, I mean, and he's, he's, his aerial challenge stats in, in, in Italy are very good. I mean, he's defensively very strong, but... Is technically adept enough. I mean, I would say that running with the ball at his feet, he's better than Callum Chambers if he's called upon to do that. He certainly has uh, an excellent range of long passing off either foot. Uh, he's he also, I think, is very strong for what I think is what possibly one of Chambers' weaknesses is that Chambers is slightly passive. He te- he's more of a defender who's, who, whose instinct is to stand off slightly or to kind of try and hold position and nick the ball. Whereas Tommy Asu's like he's he, he he likes the likes the ruckus. You know, he's 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 up for he's up for the battle, but he's quick enough that if he gets turned, you're not thinking, well, that's him done for the rest of this passage of play. Um Yeah. Like you see you see those highlight clips of and you're and
2: you're trying to think of a of a of a player comp. Hmm. And he did remind me a bit of Cashadli. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. But you know, like, well, I, more promises of fullback than Giselle that he would have had. Yes, yes, in, in, and it, like in the fact that he and he was comfortable with, with the ball on both feet. Yeah, you know, like Kachelle was very, very right-footed. Yeah. But it's it's a good signing. Again, it's not flashy. It's not yeah. It's not you know and, You know, get your dildos out. We're here. You know, like it's yeah. like, it's it's not that level. And I don't think any of the signs, maybe apart from Odegaard-ish, are of that nature. But they're not signings that are designed to get us first. They're designed to get us fourth. You know, we have to treat this as step one, you know, and if Arteta does probably get us, us f-
0: fourth in about two or three years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's the problem, you know, and that's a hard sell. Yeah, That is a hard sell. So yeah, it, it's one thing to say Arteta, you know, the the clock starts now, but at the same time, <laughs> the board aren't thinking that way the board are thinking right okay the type the, the cock starts now but you've probably still got another couple of years
0: well, well so, i suppose it depends what people realistically want isn't it because you know despite what gary neville and others might say about the lack of clear strategy that you know Arsenal's trying to strategy in this window is like the clearest fucking thing in the world
2: yeah <laughs> yeah um, it's yeah. by young buy you know just yeah. by, by promising and
0: going to be on lower wages with high resale value that have the potential to to reach high ceilings and will grow together at the similar age ages. Yeah. Great. Okay. We, we can all understand that. That's not rocket science. Uh, uh, but the question is, is what do Arsenal fans expect? You know, there's this perception that Arsenal fans have this expectation of, you know, the, the big prizes, but I think even, you know, apart from a few dissenters, I think that's not really true. I think what most fans will accept this season is obvious progress. Yeah. If the team is better than it was last year, the football gets slightly better and we and our results are, are a bit better. It might not get us like super excited, but it's enough. And we can at least enjoy the progress of some of these younger players rather yeah. than the frustration you get when you've got older players who aren't really putting... You know, it's like right now, no one's got any fucking patience for Cedric Suarez. No. You know... Because he's just a mediocre player who's, do, who's doing his best, but it's not really good enough. Whereas if that player is, is 19 and performing on those performance levels, you're a lot more sympathetic and a lot more willing to give them a go. And ultimately, yeah. we've bought a load of players under the age of 23, 24 uh, or, or younger who are all at least at that level already. Yeah, and so that's yeah. quite easy to get behind once you see it in the flesh. It's just obviously to this point in time we haven't seen it, and it's going sort of terrible results. So there's not a lot of not a lot of love for what we've seen. But no. I, I do think that could change quite quickly as long as performances as a team pick up and we get some results. Uh, you know, I think I think I, I think even though at the time people complained about it, Project Youth 3.0 uh, would be something that people could get behind and not just for the Vengus and nostalgia but also because of the recognition of of, of where with where we are but also just like fans like seeing young players develop better if they're homegrown but if they're but if they're young enough we'll forgive them for not being and and, and um you know that's nothing to be sniffed at um no i mean just on the subject of me talking about project youth 3.0 I think it's time that I mentioned our sponsors, Manscaped, to have got the Performance Package 4.0 to celebrate the start of the new football season, or as they call it, the Soccer Performance Package, which I'm not even going to uh, engage with again. But footy is back, uh, as we know, for better or, in our case, worse. And Manscaped are here with a masterclass to get you ready for the new season. The leaders in men's grooming have done it again, as always, and launched their fourth-generation Performance Package. It has the new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is even better, surprisingly enough, than the 3.0. Uh, the 4.0 will even have Paris Saint-Germain jealous of your well-groomed package, apparently. I don't know about the packages of Paris Saint-Germain, but I imagine that certainly Neymar has probably trimmed all kinds of things in his time. Uh, join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with new Performance Package 4.0 by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code DCPOD20. That's dcpod two zero. As I say, the Performance Package is here, and wow, it's... Uh, as a as a pundit would say, class from top to bottom to take your grooming game to the next level. Anyway, inside you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, as mentioned, the Weed Wacker nose hair trimmer formulations, and two not one, two free gifts uh, obviously the lawnmower 4.0 is clinical, uh, it's even better than the three I said and it's, uh, it's brought new changes I mean let's just talk about the new technology it's upgraded the midfield of anyone who uses it and it's not as expensive as Lionel Messi's weekly wages as Barcelona found out. So it features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents due to the advanced skin safe TM technology, it has a 7000 RPM motor, a new multi function on off switch which can engage a travel lock so you don't end up buzzing in your bag uh, if you excuse the expression and it gives the ability to turn on the 4000k now 4000k led spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave and as anyone who's ever tried shaving the dark can tell you or indeed just somewhere without perfect lighting that's really good it's also waterproof so shower away Uh, rain or shine the guys at Manscaped have you covered speaking of covered Do you have nose or ear hair? Yes. Uh, Mine's more a moustache, but sometimes, you know, those moustache hairs can get everywhere. Anyway, either way, there's a nose and ear hair trimmer, which is the weed whacker, which is in the performance package. And it's also waterproof and also has proprietary skin safe technology, uh, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate regions. And then, of course, the liquid formulations, as always, the crop preserver ball deodorant for pre game. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I don't need to explain to you what that does. And the crop reviver ball toner for uh, what they describe as a halftime balls check. Uh, Hmm, I'm not going to think too much about that, but either way, uh, it does make that region feel a bit more pleasant than it does without you. So your balls will thank you. And the two free gifts, yes, who can forget? We've got the Manescape boxes, which are very comfy and nice and cool so you don't get too hot, and the Shed travel bag to obviously travel with it all in there or anything else. And uh, they say your boys will be singing for joy wearing the boxes. I mean, mine don't sing. But, uh, you know, if yours do, then I'm sure it'll be like a Welsh male choir level of beauty. Anyway, get 20% off and free shipping with the code DCPOD20, that's DCPOD20, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping, with the code DCPOD20, DCPOD20, at manscaped.com. Okay, so yeah, that's all my 3.0s, my 4.0s, my 2.0s, and my Project Youths all wrapped up in one perfect <clears throat> package anyway Stephen has to leave us now uh, because he's well doing something far more important he's going presumably to a pub mm-hmm. to watch some football mm-hmm.
2: yeah uh, it's it, it, it's Portugal versus Ireland uh, so and I have to cover it for work well oh. cover it I mean I mean review it uh, well review it I mean get drunk and watch Ronaldo pump in six
0: Yes, we don't want to talk about Ronaldo pumping in anything, uh, both for legal reasons and also <laughs> and also for the fact that him returning to Manchester United is not my favourite part of the transfer window so far, even if it was very funny to laugh at Man City once again. But don't go away, listeners. Uh, we've got another little part of the podcast coming up, which is where I talk to some of the guys uh, behind the new production of Fever Pitch, taking place at the Hope Theatre in Islington, uh, which obviously, as Arsenal fans, you shouldn't need explaining why that might be worth a watch. So I'll be back to you in just a minute. Hello again, listeners. We have special guests. So, not just the usual crew talking rubbish, you have new people talking rubbish, but also hopefully not just rubbish. We have Ashley and Gabrielle with us. I'll let them introduce themselves properly in a minute, who are here because they are cast members of the forthcoming production of Fever Pitch. And of course, if you're listening to this and you're an Arsenal fan, surely you know what that is, which will be on the Hope Theatre from the 31st of August to the 25th of September. Now, the good thing is, these are actual genuine football people as well as Uh, lovies like me so we can actually talk about football in a genuine sort of fashion anyway uh gabrielle if you just want to say something about yourself and something about the show and how you feel about it and then we'll move on to ashley oh
3: thank you yes um, my name's gabrielle or gabby and i am a northerner currently living in london and in an actor in fever pitch which is incredible (laughs) I know, how exciting (laughs) Uh,
0: And uh, as Gabby told me before she came on air She's actually played football to a pretty decent standard Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah, so um, being someone who looked up I I looked up to my brother a lot Who was uh, into lots of sport And started playing football in school And then um, continued to play for um, different teams And always played right back and oh. as I was always the tallest girl on the team I was always made to mark the other tallest girl on the other team so it was sometimes um yeah there was sometimes injuries which is fine <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> right well we'll see whether we find out more about that as we go along uh, as someone who also uh to a much lower level probably played right back and was slightly idolized right backs and of course uh lee dixon is a is a key figure in at least part of the fever pitch story uh, i very much appreciate your positional choices yes uh, thank
1: you <laughs> ashley what about you um so i'm a i'm an actor from south london uh but i'm definitely not a supporter of any south london team i'll just put that out there as disclaimer um and yes i'm also in a fever pitch i didn't play football to any sort of standard really just kick abouts in the park but um i actually played at rugby for a while which was kind of weird because of my uh social background but there you go um but yeah that's that's kind of me really and i'm in this uh, very Entertaining and uh, fun play with a with a brilliant cast. So, um, yeah. <laughs> if you say so yourself, <laughs> yeah, well, they are—they're great. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and just to be clear, the not, uh, the knots being a South London supporting team, Ashley's actually a gooner, so he's got uh, yes, <laughs> he's got genuine credentials for being on here. He's not just some random geezer we picked up off the street.
1: <laughs> I am a massive, massive gooner and uh, actually a reader uh, of so many different. Blogs and news sites of um, of Arsenal, so uh, I've seen a lot of your work. So yeah.
0: Well, well, well I won't. Well, I won't ask for a review. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll we'll save that for the theatrical endeavors. So yeah, obviously, Fever Pitch. It, um, I mean, most of the listeners will be at least familiar with the, the 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 setting of the story. If they even if they haven't read the book or seen the god forbid film, um, they'll they'll know what's going on with it, and and obviously that it uh, covers the life of someone with a very intimate relationship with the Arsenal football club and those around him also do, and also other areas of his life, and of course uh, the pivotal moment of the unforgettable for anyone who remembered it, nineteen eighty nine season. Um, but you know what made you guys get involved in this play?
1: Um, so I got uh, as many things I get. I got an email from my agent with the audition, and I read the script. and Obviously, *Fever Pitch* straight away pricked up my ears because um, I know it really well. I know the book, and uh, I've obviously seen the film. I thought that's interesting. They're going to change it into a. They're going to turn it into a theatre piece. And so really like the script and the adaptation um, and, uh, yeah, just did the audition. It, the things that I had to do for it kind of fit with the kind of tub of actor I am. And luckily I got the job and um, thankfully I did because it's a, it's a pleasure to be in it. So um, that's, that's how I got involved. Well,
3: and
0: what about you, Gabby?
3: I... Um... I had uh, kind of worked with the writer Joel Samuels or the writer of the adaptation Joel Samuels previously and um, knew what a fantastic writer he was and how brilliant. And I've seen lots of his shows. So um, knew how, you know, what a fantastic artist he is. And so when I got the opportunity to read the script and audition, I already knew it was going to be fantastic and then got to read the script. And it's just, I, have read Fever Pitch since being able to read the script, and it's just—it's br- mind-boggling to me how something that's almost written as diary. Nick Hornby wrote it almost as diary entries, I guess that's how I'd kind of mm. describe mm. it. And it's just brilliant how how Joel has um, adapted it for what we do. So it was just like a no-brainer. It's just—it's so much fun. There's so much going on, and the. People I get to work with are ace, including I mean, I, Ashley, who's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like the perfect job, really. It's so good.
0: <laughs> well, obviously, uh, uh, as uh, an actor myself, I, you know, I'm I'm trying to uh, hold back the bitterness and resentment of not having been put up for this <laughs> <laughs> particular production. But um, yeah, I mean, for those of you who. Don't know it. The Hope Theatre is above the Hope and Anchor Park on Upper Street in Islington. So it's not just an Arsenal-related play. It's in an Arsenal-related location, uh, which one presumes is not entirely coincidental. But <laughs> uh, obviously, you know, there's lots of people listening to this who are going to be, that's going to be in their locality. And uh, I obviously, I uh, would encourage you to go, not just to support the theatre, which obviously I'm going to want you to do <laughs> because that's my life too, but also just because uh, how often really, as football fans, do we have the opportunity to see uh, something in the theatre that's really catered for us? You know, mm. of, so often sport and theatre are seen as, well, sport and the arts in general, but particularly theatre, are seen as kind of a separate entities. So you either did one of at school or the other, you know. Yeah. And uh, I often find a lot of actors, when they find out that I'm sort of unhealthily obsessive about Arsenal Football Club or indeed any sport uh, are always terribly surprised because they sort of view me as this this sort of artistic creature that does all these weird things, uh, artistic weird things, I hasten to add, (laughs) um, apart from the escaped ads, which we will get onto later. uh, But, um, you know, I think it's nice when we can bring the two elements together. And actually, I although I've never been involved in a or acted in a theatre piece about, uh, about football, I have actually been a football consultant on, <laughs> on a show that went to Edinburgh, <laughs> really? uh, which was about the very start of association football, uh, wow. basically because someone I knew who's an absolutely brilliant director and um, was putting on a, this show and loved the story, but didn't actually know a lot about football and particularly football of that era. So I was able to go, okay, I'm a massive geek. So (laughs) this is where I can be useful to you. Um, I'm pointing to lots of references and whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, obviously you can't, you know, even though a lot of people will be familiar with Fever Fit Pitch, you don't want to give away plot spoilers, even as such as there are in a Mm -hmm. play about a book that a lot of people seeing will already know. But um, how is it trying to recreate the the, the sort of Colosseum experience of fandom within a theatrical environment. I mean, obviously there are parallels between theatre and and, and, and uh, spectator sport, and that's one of the things that I think unites in my first turning up on the steps of Highbury at whatever age I was. But, uh, I mean, how do you find the experience of sort of bringing that to live within a theatrical environment?
3: Um, it's, yeah, as someone who who isn't a part of the fandom, I guess, of supporting a club, it, and it's so interesting what you say about um, the a lot of it is so similar in terms of the community and you feel people feel things in a theater and in a stadium, the same at the same time, obviously depending on which team you're supporting and how well they're doing. But so it's really, it's been wonderful for me to learn about the theatrics of being a fan and the theatrics of a game and the life around your club and being a fan and, um, And we have a great time in rehearsals because Ashley and I and uh, another one of the actors, Louise, we play the fans as um, Jack, who plays Nick, um, will obviously be being Nick Hornby uh, or his version of. And, um, you know, we have great, And it's so collaborative. We're able to kind of, you know, Ashley knows football really well. So he gives us a lot of advice on things, how um, fans act and the individuals that, you know, at games, we've talked about people Ashley's met and who he would sit by and also little things of how we can kind of bring our understanding into it as well. So today we were um, talking and and obviously I know people, you know, at halftime, you go and get a burger or I was thinking, and I said to Ashley, do you reckon people would take like, um, maybe like, maybe it's, I don't know, a me thing, but would you take like a, you know, you could have like a, a, a can of beans, you know, like, <laughs> you know, Heinz baked beans and like sit and eat that? I don't know. And then I was like, what well, did people eat nuggets? I don't know. And so it's just really funny to like go through like how we can make it theatrical, but also how we can make it individual to the characters we're playing. And
0: it's just so freeing. It's beautiful. It's really, really fun. And, and I guess also it's that thing of, you know, the fan experience circa 1989, is rather different to the fan experience now. You know, it's a bit sanitised now. Whereas, uh, whereas, uh, yeah. I mean, then I could imagine, it, pretty rare, but I could imagine people sneaking out a can of beans in the 80s from my remembrances of the ground.
3: <laughs> That's what I thought. You're supporting me, thank you, because I was thinking that, but alas, no. <laughs>
0: well, to be fair, people used to do all kinds of weird shit in football grounds in the 80s, partly because the football was so terrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh... I think uh, for me, in terms of looking into the fandom of Arsenal, it's it's quite easy for me because Arsenal has been such a huge part of my life. And a lot of the players that we talk about, for example, like Liam Brady, Charlie George, um, and then the players from 89, Rowcastle Thomas, they are my absolute heroes. Like, I don't really get starstruck from actors. But I, I think five years ago, I walked past Charlie George and my heart was going like that do you know what I mean? And he stopped for a photo, he loved loved the guy, but genuinely like, these guys are like gods to me, and it's it's it's, it's quite a weird thing when you're explaining it to somebody who doesn't have that same experience with football, because a lot of people who aren't into football will always say, you know, it's just a game, but I think it's not, because it's not only about the football, it's about community, it's about society, it's about politics, and it's about looking at these different identities and race and you know how these, people, how these footballers play the game. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a weird one. It's, it's one of those things where even to the detriment of myself with Arsenal, sometimes I have to have a moment where I leave supporting Arsenal for a little bit because it gets almost a bit too intense. It's almost like having your favourite chocolate bar. You're going to have a, a Cadbury's dairy milk every single day because it's your like, you know, it's your absolute favourite. But then you have loads of it, you're gonna be sick, and then you have to leave it for a bit. But then something that always drags you back. And Arsenal, I can't quit you. Oh, just, I can't quit you, baby.
0: I, I was gonna say, I, I I don't know if that metaphor quite works quite as well in recent seasons because it's a bit. It's a bit like you're eating your dairy milk, and then someone's put a massive turd in one of them, and you're like. hang on, <laughs> But at least it's variety, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: oh my goodness I That's mean, I, so
0: cool. yeah, I mean I always find the the relationship and the, and the commonalities between you know, uh, live performance and live sport, very interesting because obviously there is a commonality, they're both for people who are watching, they're mm-hmm. both something which people engage with because of the emotional impact, I mean, yes you do, you can sometimes get it with theater. I mean, you know, you never really get anyone sitting, sitting going, sitting in an Arsenal game, reading with the words, <laughs> like, like you yeah. sometimes get with Shakespeare. And go, no, he's Mr. Vow. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, but you will get a kind of, oh, well, you, you you know, you will get the people in front of, well, you know, 1973, that this happened yeah. That's not going to happen now because of this, you know, you do get that element as well. of people engage with it in that way, but most people engage with it for more emotional and, uh, involvement reasons, um, yeah. of, of wanting to be kind of transported, carried away, um, and, and experience something different. And of course, you know, going back to that period of time, as someone who my formative football experiences as a fan were very much, this dates me, very much around the late 80s. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I actually went to quite a lot of games that season. Uh, and so uh, that collective atmosphere, that's the one thing that you get from sport that you don't get from theatre for me, which is why it's an addiction which I find more compelling in a lot of ways as a spectator rather than a practitioner is the the fact that along with what's happening in front of you with the sport which at times can be very dull uh you're also having what's happening around you and 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 actually the rest of the crowd particularly then again less so now because it's so much so more sanitized but particularly then it was the you know, sometimes you go to games and you spend more time watching the watching the fans than you with the football. Because you know, yeah, I remember one of my first games was a, a nil-nil against Luton, and I don't even have to say anything to imagine how dull that was. <laughs> or the or the game where we went nip, got a nil-nil at Crystal Palace. And my primary <laughs> memory was the ball getting stuck on the roof of Sainsbury's, uh, and, then having, and then having to go and get into the, into the detention rooms and get another ball. But. <laughs> but obviously the, the 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 fans, and that's very much something that, f- that, that Nick Hornby also touches upon, so I'm assuming in your production, mm. there's this whole other ecosystem that takes place. Mm. And uh, I, I guess it'd be very interesting for people to see that reflected outside of the context of a football ground, if they're not regular theatre goes. But I suppose we've talked about it from the perspective of football fans, but um, for, say, someone who... I mean, I don't know why they'd be listening to this podcast, but who knows? Maybe the Twitter Twitter links will create magic. But um, <laughs> for someone who isn't necessarily primarily driven by footballing interest, what would you say would appeal to them about this production?
1: I think for me, it's it's the it's looking at how football and masculinity can affect someone's life. And also how that affects their family life and the people around them, their relationships, um, and also how sometimes we can excuse certain issues that happened around happen around football just because we really enjoy the game. Like I'm sure you've experienced things at games which are really unsavoury, and you've not spoken up or spoken out about it because at the end of the day, you're just into football. Um, and I think. Especially all of the kind of darker side of football this year in particular, again, has been brought Mm. back into the spotlight. And it's just interesting how sometimes for fans, and including myself in this, how we just kind of skirt across those issues because at the end of the day, all you really care about is the actual football. Um, So that's quite interesting. I think that's an interesting topic for non football fans. And also, I think it's, you know, watching actors play various different characters and seeing how they kind of change into them. And also as well, I'd say, I hope it is. And it's quite funny (laughs) Uh, (laughs) as well as being quite serious in parts. So um, that's what I'd say to people who don't, who aren't really into football, that would be the appeal for me, I think.
0: Yeah. And just, I'm just going to jump onto that just before I let Gabby come back in is, uh, is obviously you mentioned something very important there, which is the, 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 (laughs) well, I suppose the re-emergence of things that we thought may have disappeared with the 80s in terms of, or, or certainly 80s, early 90s in terms of, well, let's call it what it is, bigotry of yeah. various different sorts around sport. Um, you know, we, we, we got very comfortable in a position where it, it had years of getting better, so we kind of got complacent. And then obviously, as it has done in broader society, it's been like the slap in the face is there. And it's like, oh, Oh, that didn't go away as much as we thought it did. Um, yeah. So there is isn't a, a parallel with the eighties the with, with that right there. Uh, whether it be racism or misogyny or homophobia, we're, we're seeing all those things sort of waving their flags in, in, in recent times. And of course, that's something that was anyone that went to the football in the eighties was aware of being there. I mean, perhaps it didn't register as much because they were, in, in a way, it was so common. You know, I mean, racism re- re- registered more there because it was so overt you Mm. know when people are throwing monkey throwing bananas at john barnes and doing the monkey chance you're kind of you're left in no absolutely no doubt what's taking place or shall we say when the chelsea fans are booing their own black players uh something anyway i'll resist taking a pop at chelsea any more than that but oh um, please
1: don't (laughs) (laughs) um
0: but uh yeah i mean we're Obviously now it's much more prevalent online and in the ground it's much less, but we have seen in the grounds again in in the last couple of years, it's starting to rear its head a bit more like, you know, the experience that Raheem Sterling had uh, again. Oh, was it Chelsea? Oh, yes, it was. uh, Not so long ago. Um, It's almost as if it's a racist football club. (laughs) Anyway... Hey, I grew up in the eighties where, like, Chelsea was the NF club. So, um, those memories well, were yeah. really hard. You know, when 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 the stickers and the love hate tattoos were just what happened. Mm. But uh, okay, so uh, apart from those issues, Gabrielle, what else would you say? Is why should people come and see this show? <laughs>
3: so, Fever Pitch is um, is very fast paced. It's funny. There are uh, there are moments of great. Um, self-reflection and um, reflection on football as a, as a, um, as a, (coughs) it's not a hobby. I know it's not a hobby as a fandom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But football as a, as a, as a a part of people's lives. Um, But there's also great likeness and the celebration. Of course we, we have games in it that, Arsenal win, and there is the the joy of that is um, palpable within the script, and hopefully within what we do as as uh, as actors. And then there's the losses, and I think like joy and loss is so universal that even if you're not someone who is a you know a diehard Arsenal fan or football fan, the we are all fans of things, and we can all become obsessed with things and love them, and they can take. Um, you know, great prevalence within our lives. And also we experience joy and loss in things that um, we love, you know, like people have different things that they enjoy and they spend a lot of time obsessing over and we experience the same things, whether that's football or whether it's another game (laughs) <laughs> or, uh, I, like, Love Island. You know, we, the things we are just watching, we're just spectators of, and we experience loss and joy within those things.
0: So now I have to ask you the silly question, which is, what, what are you obsessed about? Oh,
3: gosh. <laughs> Me. Um, oh,
0: gosh. <laughs> if oh, no, it's too I'm bad, such I a nerd. Oh,
3: no, I'm such a nerd. I'm really obsessed with playing the Nintendo Switch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's all right. Uh, I'm, uh, um, I am a geek in multiple directions, not that particular one, but I can I can get on board with equivalences.
3: Yep, yeah, um, and yeah, I think I, no, that's it. And documentaries, I love watching documentaries.
0: <laughs> was that I really put down sal- the spot there, Matthew? <laughs> was that just to salvage maturity was it?
3: Maybe I become obsessed with football now. Then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I, I didn't expect that that question to be quite so difficult, but there we go. <laughs> I
3: know, I know.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, that's probably because I'm sort of like a massive spanner about a, quite a wide range of things, uh, oh, really? or just happens to be the one that is the most dominant of my. Pathetic obsessions, <laughs> um, but okay. So uh, we've talked about the show. Tell us, uh, tell us again when it's on. Uh, you can share this with if you want. Uh, how long it's on for, uh, and of course, how much tickets cost, <laughs> and things like that.
3: It's um, we open on the thirty first of August at seven pm. That's our first show, and we close on the twenty fifth of September, and our, the show goes up at seven pm. But there's only three tickets left. For the 25th of September. So hopefully you'll be able to get in there for the last night. Woo! And ticket prices.
0: Ticket prices, which I believe are, uh, well, £15 or £12 for concessions. I yep. don't know if that uh, if there's an equity thing on that. You'll have to check with the theatre yourself mm-hmm. if you're an equity member. But if you're an equity member, the chances of you being both an Arsenal spanner and an equity member at the same time as soon as this podcast is probably quite slim given that we're probably only of the two people that fit that category are actually on this podcast at this moment in time. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, anyway, I've, if there's anyone I've, else I've, out there, get involved.
3: I've been, uh, the fir- one of the first Arsenal matches I watched in the pub was with some friends when I was training as an actor and watched them weep in the street outside the pub so there were other actors who may be act- acting members as well and for Arsenal
0: <laughs> that's just giving me flashbacks to the Champions League final in 2006 oh, never have I seen so many grown men in the same place cry <laughs> <sighs>
1: Oh, uh, I remember exactly yeah exactly where I was <laughs>
0: oh. and of course oh, my then girlfriend who was an actor went oh it's only a game and uh, but she knew exactly what she was doing (laughs) (laughs) and i said i'll take that but don't let anyone else hear you because i'm not going to step in and defend you
1: (laughs) it's the worst thing you can say at that point isn't it
0: yeah yeah (laughs) oh dear um well on to on to happier things uh obviously um you know there's no point denying it Fever pitch on the culminating moments is Anfield in 89. It's a a weird one for me because, I I, I mean, I don't know how old you were at the time, Ashley, or if you were interested in these things at that exact moment in time, or if you were even born. I don't want to, uh, I'll let you answer that yourself. But like, for me, it's like, it it is perfect for a dramatic storyline because of the improbability of it and and the weight, I suppose, and the 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 throwing throwing away an advantage only to kind of miraculously salvage the situation with elation but it's also you know the iconic commentary from brian moore which which Mm. is i mean he was an expert at what he did but for me i still have the thing where like the clip is so indelibly inked in my mind from that moment that like a single word of that commentary or even just the particular crowd noise from that match I get the hairs going up, standing on end. And it's really weird because obviously I've, you know, seen Arsenal have amazing and terrible situations, but the you know, whole season unbeaten, wow, winning lots of FA Cups. So. But that was the one, that was the one where, it, like, it, and it's sort of weird, like, as a, how old was I? 11, I, think, uh, I I sort of like, oh, this is as good as it's ever going to be. <laughs> <laughs> as, right, as a football fan not in life <laughs> but that was sort of because because you're well, you're kind of like you're, you're hit by this you know the improbability of it and the fact that it happens the way it does and mm. kind of like there is no feeling which is ever going to be as pure and raw from a spectator from something you're not actively doing yourself uh, I mean I just wondered what you thought about that
1: <laughs> yeah of course I mean I was I was only two when that happened <laughs> My love of Arsenal uh, really comes from one player and that player is Ian Wright. Without Ian Wright, he was my absolute hero and I wished he was my dad so much. (laughs) Every single day, I was like, I just wish that one day I found out that Ian Wright was my dad. It's all I wanted in in, in life. Bit of a Um, shit dad if you found out now. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be just? Um, But uh, obviously as my life has gone on, I've been obsessed with Arsenal. And you look back at, at 89 and there, there is so much in that moment. It's a, it's a, the winning goal is just beautifully put together with the commentary and everything around it, like Hillsborough and Liverpool. And it's, it's, it's such a, a unique moment for so many different reasons. And as well, looking back, in because it was in the 80s, I think seeing players, and I think for me this is just a personal thing. Being mixed race, half Jamaican, half English, being seeing you know Castle, Thomas, players like that who had such an important part in that in that team, it, it's just yeah, it's sort of yeah, it's just incredible really. And I still watch, even though I wasn't aware of that moment at the time, I still watch that game today and it almost brings me to tears that moment it's really weird it's such a visceral sort of thing And i watched the um oh what's the documentary called amy lawrence 89 uh, yes yes yeah. um it, it's a fantastic documentary if anyone listening hasn't seen that it is an insanely good documentary and it kind of gives you the idea of what it meant to arsenal fans and if anyone can say after seeing that the football's just a game, then probably don't come to see the show. <laughs> 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 but, but do anyway. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yes. Pay pay for a ticket.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and and as you say, that it, it captures something unique about the time as well as. Being a time when I suppose supporters were much closer to the players, they felt more accessible. So our heroes felt more tangible in a way, rather than these sort of heroic, almost mythical figures, you know, almost like Apollo or something like that, or uh, not Apollo, uh, Achilles rather. Um, But, you know, these kind of, this is how they are now, you know, but... But in those days, particularly with the, uh, some of the drinking culture around here, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it, w- it wasn't unusual for people to bump into them in a pub, some of them. Um, and obviously, you know, the South London boys like Rocky, um, you know, still have that connection to his home community as well. And, and, Absolutely. And uh, so that also gives it a sort of, it's a unique snapshot because of that compared to now, but also because it was a time of such change anyway. Mm. It, we saw like the end of the cold war we saw you know not it was around that time it was the fall of the berlin Wall. it was ceausescu in romania there was you know vent thatcher going there was um Italia 90 and suddenly football became cool rather than just being a game for for, 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 for you know poor people or thugs um and so there, yeah it was a, a huge period of change and i think uh, both the book and, and i'm presuming the play when i get a chance to see it uh will capture some of that essence surrounding it that you know that this is a a, a sort of a liminal moment in 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 time for both arsenal fans but also there's something bigger going on at the same time which i think is very exciting to have a uh, feeling as part of the overall whateverness i can't think of the word <laughs> but there we go um, I'm going to let you go in a minute, guys. Uh, but I just have to ask, uh, and uh, I'm afraid, uh, Gabby, this one's a bit more for Ashley. Uh, with a, with a few minutes remaining, what's your thoughts about where we're at? Does did the West Brom game make you feel more optimistic? And uh, Arteta in or out? Hokey pokey time.
1: Oh, um, I am very worried about the state of the club at the moment uh, for so many reasons. Um, I think we have wasted so much money on buying players who don't really fit with each other. Uh, I am not convinced by Edu at all. And if it was my choice, I would say bye-bye and get someone who's more competent in that position. In terms of uh, Arteta, I really want him to do well. really do. I like him. And when he first came in, I was like, oh, this guy... Because it's like, Arsenal DNA, like he gets it and obviously we won the other cup. You can hear but the butt coming, can't you Gabby? <laughs> <laughs> I can. We won the other cup. But I just think that this job is too early for him. And the basket case that Arsenal is at the top needs someone with stability. When Rafa Benitez was available, I would have snapped his hand off. Um, personally. Uh, so that's that's what I think.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. And, uh, well, okay, last question. Uh, and I'm going to ask both of you this, even though, Gabby, you're not supposed to necessarily know the answer. But uh, where do you think Arsenal finish in the Premier League table this season? Tenth.
3: I was going to say eighth. A bit more optimistic. That is optimistic. But yeah. it's a
1: good get, yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, uh, well uh, I have to say uh, my view is that Gabby's closer to accuracy than you actually. but then I'm more okay <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm I'm, I'm more optimistic than th- th- most so I she's
1: going to be an absolute nightmare tomorrow <laughs> <laughs>
0: good I'm glad I've achieved something with this (laughs) All right. well uh, just to say uh, thank you to both Gabby and Ashley uh, two of the fabulous members of the cast of Fever Pitch which is at the Hope Theatre from the 31st of August to the 25th of September tickets £15 or £12 for concessions Uh, it kicks off at 7pm and of course the Hope Theatre is just on Upper Street above the Hope Anchor Pub Uh, check it out it's a lovely little theatre and it'll be a lovely little show and last thing to say is we will uh, doing a bit of a ticket giveaway so watch this space all right Uh, thanks guys thank you
1: take care
0: thank you take care